intro for this one, so deal with it. Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek: The Next Generation, and then reengage with the show from the perspective of being adults and not the Gen X little boys and girls and other genders we were when it first aired. Today, we're talking about the 16th episode of season five, The Outcast, and I'm so excited to welcome my friends and a very special guest to discuss this episode, which is an important one, I think. So I'll say hello to everyone on the panel and then introduce our guest. So hey, Jimmy G, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Excited to hear what Melissa has to say and talk about this episode. Excellent. All right. Well, you took the introduction away from me, and for that, you (laughs) get seven demerits. Kate Yeager, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. And I would like to just note for the record, I was not the one that ruined things. (laughs) (laughs) It was me. I guess we're foregoing the power of editing. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Curry, are you going to ruin things? I'm certain. I'm going to wait a little while into the recording, but I'll do my best to ruin things a little later if that makes everybody happy. Glad to see you all. And of course, Melissa, Nathan, welcome to this podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. You're a stage manager, which I was a stage manager as well when we did theater back in the day. And uh, you're working right now, right? Yeah, I'm a freelance equity stage manager um, out of New York, but currently in Sarasota, Florida, where the weather is still a little warmer here than everywhere else, but not what I signed up for when I said I'm going to spend the winter in Florida. Oh, no. Awesome. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about your history with Star Trek and uh, how you came into being a fan. I've been thinking about this for a while because I don't know. (laughs) My my parents didn't watch The Next Generation. I know they watched the original series when it first aired, but my mom is very much against like any kind of remake or, you know, things like that. Like she won't even watch the newer Star Wars movies, you know, because she's like, they're not the originals. And I'm like, yeah, but... Some of them, like Rogue One, maybe, you know, maybe. I think I just came to it by myself naturally. Um, I definitely, there's some, I did a full rewatch uh, after Picard season three, and there's some older episodes which I remember watching, probably not first go rounds, because I was very young when it first started, but, you know, during like repeats and whatnot. But there's some of the later episodes, like season six and seven, where in my early teenage years, where I very distinctly remember parts of them. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I definitely remember seeing that. And I remember seeing uh, generations in the movie theater walking with my friends. And they said they were a little older than me. And they said I was an ensign because I was younger than them. Aww. So by now, I'm probably like an admiral or a commodore <laughs> or something, you know. <laughs> but it's always just kind of been there similar to star wars because i don't remember the first time i saw star wars either it's just always Mm. been there and then i've had friends recently like during picard season three i had a college friend who was like did you like star trek when we were in college and i was like i did but we just didn't talk about it back then you know in the early aughts it was after voyager enterprise was just starting or was on and people just didn't talk about it as much yeah no i i experienced that too uh in college late 90s uh and uh it just was not on people's radar. It was not. It had that crest, I think, of of the mid '90s, and then it fell uh, in in popularity. But now it's back. 
Interesting stuff. I can't wait to delve into this because I think it does have a lot of effect on my thinking about uh, different peoples like Star Trek has done. Uh, and, and going back similarly to you and rewatching all this and being inspired by the lookbacks that Picard had done. There's a lot here to unpack. The second thing I wanted to note, though, is now I think you started as an ensign and I believe you are now a traveler. So that's, <laughs> that's I like it. You're not an I'm admiral go- or a commodore. You go straight to Will it. Wheaton's role. Excellent. <laughs> Which I like because if Melissa is an admiral by age, that means I'm dead for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you could just be another admiral like McCoy, just shuffling along there that's in the pilot. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I'm not wanting to use the transporters. Yeah. <laughs> Gruff and angry at all the kids. Hey, if the shoe fits. So, yes, this is The Outcast. It is actually episode 17. I think I said the wrong uh, number there when I gave the initial intro. So I'm saying episode 17 so that I can edit it in and put it in later because I cheat. All right. It <laughs> takes place on Stardate 456.14.6. In our world, that was first aired on March 16th, 316. That's another Stone Cold Steve Austin reference uh, back to the wrestling things. A couple of fun things happening in uh, the world history. Uh, On March 6th, we had a a bit of a break. We had about uh, two weeks since the last episode aired. And the Michelangelo computer virus was taking effect on March 6th. I don't remember this being talked about so much, but it was one of those first times that a virus was discussed widely and thought how it would be this doomsday thing. It was actually pushed by John McAfee, everyone's favorite antivirus software pusher. (laughs) But I read a little bit about this and that March 6th, it's called uh, the Michelangelo virus because it was supposed to activate on March 6th, which was the uh, birth date of Michelangelo. Uh, And there was researchers of this virus who coined that term, even though Michelangelo is not actually mentioned in the virus itself. But it was supposed to do on that date if you booted up your computer, it would mess up your, your your boot drive and everything would be go away. And it was so pervasive that some uh, hard disks being sold at that time shipped with this virus on it. There was a workaround you could do if you changed your the date of your computer to March 7th so that you never actually got a March 6th. It wouldn't write it. Uh, it was also a variant of many other viruses that originated, they think, from a student in Wellington, New Zealand that was called the stoned virus, which would also on a specific date, Good man. Uh, it would it would say, your computer is stoned, legalize marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't have to have any programming knowledge to change what the message was for the virus. So there's many, many variants of this, which say various uh, stupid and silly things from 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 1992. <laughs> Love. So it was. It's not until this, you know, uh, uh, Independence Day, where they start to use computer viruses as a way, uh, a Deus Ex Machina, to solve uh, sci-fi problems. So we'll get to that uh, eventually. Uh, the other fun thing <laughs> that was happening was Leona Hemsley, the businesswoman, <laughs> was sentenced to four years in prison for tax evasion. Uh, this had been an ongoing story about how she had. 
she was like Trump, a real estate mogul in New York City and was famously said uh, at, during this trial, a housekeeper quoted her as saying, we don't pay taxes, only the little people pay taxes. Mm. And that attitude uh, was why, actually very similar to Trump, like she wouldn't pay contractors, build things for her personal use uh, to her corporations to avoid paying taxes herself uh, from her mansion uh, renovations in Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, yeah, she went to prison. Uh, she actually only ended up serving 19 months in prison, two months after that under house arrest. Hmm. She eventually uh, you know, died in infamy at the end of the 90s. But I remember Leona Helmsley being like a punchline of almost every single late night talk show host, right? I think Letterman alone hammered this uh, a lot, right? Well, yeah. and I can't hear her name anymore without hearing Stewie's voice in my head when he <laughs> takes up uh, Lois's eyelids is like, wake up, Leona. And it's, it's all I can hear. <laughs> and uh, just one little fun note, during her sentencing, she hired a new lawyer to help with her case, and that was Alan Dershowitz, who uh, has some prominence over time, was an O.J. Simpson trial lawyer. Wow. Rudy Giuliani actually was the prosecutor on this because uh, it was for his uh, DOG uh, when he was attorney general in New York. So a lot of ripples of currency uh, history in, under that case. Oh. And Dershowitz, I'm still pissed that he ruined Ron Silver. All right. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think that's a perfect transition <laughs> to go in and talk about all of the fun pop culture thing that's happening during this time. Kate? All right. It is pop culture time. To Be With You by Mr. Big continues to be number one, which is just a fantastic fucking song and has been in my head since the last time. <laughs> Donna Summer got a star on the Hollywood Walk mm. of Fame. Hey now. In the movies, it is our final week of being beholden to Wayne's World, which will have ended up spending five weeks at number one. Uh, but this weekend, uh, my cousin Vinny was released. So oh. there you are. So by this time in the Wayne's World life cycle, everyone knows the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody now? Oh, for sure. For sure. That song is peaked. I'm surprised it's not number one, right? Yeah. <laughs> and in uh, news to make you feel old, John Boyega was born. <laughs> so there you go, everyone. Face your mortality. You're welcome. And that is pop culture news. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Loving it. Jimmy, what was happening behind the scenes of this particular episode? Well, I only have one thing for that because there's a lot of stuff about, you know, developing the script, which isn't really behind the scenes. It's just more creative process, which we can mm. or maybe not get into as the episode unfolds. But one thing of note is the Janai shuttle that our lead comes over on. Uh, we've seen twice before. One, first time in Darmok one of our favorite episodes. Mm. And then it was also the shuttle used by Rasmussen, his time pod in uh, a matter of time. So recycled uh, and recycled from two of our uh, top episodes. And that's all I have from the Nivisic Files. <laughs> I, I like recycling. Uh, it's, it's, it's a theme of the 90s. <laughs> Eric, what can you tell us about the uh, wonderful actors that are guesting? Well, in this I one? think they're pretty special. I'm going to pick three Janai to talk most about. Uh, we're going to talk about Callan White, who played Krite and uh, does a fantastic job. Or is it Crete? 
Anyway, uh, we'll figure it out. Uh, fantastic <laughs> job. I, uh, I encourage you all to look her up. Uh, tons of stage and some TV as well. But we go right to Megan Cole, who played Noor. I, I just think she's magnificent in this episode. And I was not surprised to go back and see that she is the original lead actor in the Los Angeles and regional productions of Wit before it went and did Off-Broadway and Broadway. And she continues to do a version of it. It has been uh, turned into a one-person show. And she takes it around to medical schools to talk about ethics uh, between uh, prospective doctors and patients and has worked uh, uh, closely with the playwright as well for the two of them to put out this new uh, production that they that they tour with kind of all over the world. Tons of wonderful television and other uh, appearances. But what I remember most about her career is she is in two episodes of Seinfeld, one of which is the one where she thinks Elaine's name is Susie. And I think that her performance in both of these episodes that she shows up at Jay Peterman's are among the best uh, guest stars that we've had on, on Seinfeld as well. Uh, wit and everything else, just an unbelievable uh, career ongoing. And then we get to Melinda Kulia, who we see as Soren, one of the great guest stars in Star Trek history. Here we are, a fantastic career, beginning with, I know we all know, the A-Team. Do you remember Amy on the first two seasons of the A-Team? That is our friend Soren. She was, of course... Oh. <laughs> Everyone's face just went... Yes, that's her. She, she apparently was uh, taken off of the show because George Papard didn't want a fucking lady on the show. Ooh. So in the second season, her character was written off, but it went okay. She did a ton more. She was a lead in several television shows after that, including uh, Glitter, uh, which was a short-lived series. Uh, she was Terry Randolph in that. And of course, she was in Knott's Landing for two years right before this. And right after this, she played Joey Lawrence's stepmom on How Could We Forget Brotherly Love, which apparently had several seasons. Oh. I do not remember her from that, but it should also be noted that she played Constance Taylor in Wagons East, the worst Western that we all kind of love anyway. So let's give our best hand to Melinda Colia. I know Greg's going to take care of me in editing, but that was much more difficult than it needed to be. Yay, guest <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Melissa, do you remember uh, her from Brotherly Love? Your your face lit up there. Like, vaguely. I remember the show a little bit, because it was like all the Lawrence brothers. Right. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. Which is why totally. it's called Brotherly Love. <laughs> so, I don't ask me why I remember this, but Matthew Lawrence's birthday is like two days before mine. <laughs> We're very close in age. I know why, because you had Teen Beat. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> or Tiger Beat, whichever one was your all of them. beat of choice. <laughs> Let's not forget Sassy. I did have Sassy. I or love Sassy. Magazine. But Sassy was real. I read Sassy because I was like, I'm, I am a There I'm a was, I don't know, again, don't know how I remember this, but there was one cover of Sassy with Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love on the cover, and he had red hair. Oh. Yes! <gasps> I remember the red hair era. That was good oh, shit. You wow. know that was Kool-Aid. I... Good work, Kurt. Right. <laughs> it's totally an aside, but I rewatched Christmas Vacation as you do during the Christmas holidays, and one of the my favorite visual jokes continues to be the old man on the top bunk reading Sassy. <laughs> oh, that's right. And I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like I uh, you only get it if you were a '90s kid, so you don't get it, Jimmy. 
<laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Yeah. Zero. I was already in college. The funny thing is, is you're probably the sassiest among them. Uh, all right. Let's get into the episode proper. The teaser is pretty quick. They introduce the androgynous race of the Janai through a captain's log. And they are looking for their lost shuttle. And they send out uh, a probe and it disappears. But it's a real quick one. It's like less than a minute almost of of, of setup here. Uh, any quick thoughts? Uh, were you intrigued by this setup or, or not? And I'll throw it to you, Kate. I think they do a really interesting job of setting up a complex issue fairly quickly that they're going to continue to explore throughout the episode, right? But like... For a 1992 audience, the idea of an androgynous society sort of they 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 sort of deal with a lot of landmines early on in terms of how to talk about them and how to greet them that that kind of thing. It just I I was I will not lie I was nervous about this episode because of having just seen um, and talked about from last time ethics which dealt with assisted suicide in such a clunky and uh, 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 just a wrong headed way. Right. Like, (laughs) so I was like, Oh, I'm not feeling putting this episode in. And so I was automatically a little more at ease Mm -hmm. even with this little tiny teaser. I was in the same situation, Kate, and we're going to talk about it later, but you know, who kind of put me at ease was William Riker uh, and his reactions kind of all the way through, which I was not expecting either. Yeah. Yeah, and I like early on you see him chatting with Soren in the background uh, mm-hmm. here. So it's, you know, immediately there is a connection, uh, uh, which seemed pretty cool. Melissa, what are your thoughts on on this kind of introduction and how it states the premise? It was weird. I for, When I was watching it yesterday, I was like, I know I just watched this, like, okay, back in like April or May or whenever, but I forgot it was so short, mm-hmm. the teaser. And, and I was like, wait, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I did just watch this episode, right? <laughs> yes. I was concentrated on other things later in the episode. I looked at yeah. my husband legitimately, and I was like, "That's it," because <laughs> it's so it's so unusual for it to be so brief. Well, and we've talked a lot about how it's hard to tackle things like this in the forty-five minutes they have, and I, I imagine that's probably why they they tried to get it as short as they could, uh, which was like, we have these amazing scenes uh, coming up. So after the break, we get a captain's log talking more about where the probe went and introducing the idea of null space. This is a new sci-fi thing. Jimmy, what did you think of of their explanation of null space and what that means? I loved it. I love the graphics. I love the whole nerdy talk about it. <laughs> It's perfect sci-fi. Null space. This is something that Frank Herbert touched upon in mm. his series. He had he didn't call it no. He had no ships. So they were immune to the golden path, meaning they were immune to being seen in the future or the past. And this was a sort of a similar thing where they just disappear. And not by magic, because the light bends and the sciencey stuff happens and they're there. You just can't see them or detect them. Uh, and it's a great visual later when you see the shuttle go in and it just boom vanishes. So uh, I was completely on board with the, the, the whole null field. Loved it. After the, the, the meeting with the graphic, they go in and talk uh, Riker and Soren about their piloting. Uh, I just have this thing where, I wonder why Riker is the one 
who they both smell uh, really good is in charge of the science of all of this. Like <laughs> I understand why Riker is the one to push this story forward, but right at the beginning, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> why is Riker there? <laughs> and, or certainly he should be there in tandem with. Yeah, Dorian we haven't established someone with, else with data. Yeah. Well, I think it's because. They realized immediately when Jordy came on screen with the beard, they're like, this isn't working. <laughs> we have to cut him from all the other scenes. Disagree. He wears that beard well. And this is what's interesting. The Nemesic Files from last week, from the last episode, Ethics, actually mentioned this, but it was misplaced. Mm. This was the first and only time he was allowed to have facial hair. Wow. Oh, I thought it was It was like two episodes. There's another uh, one. Yeah, it, it could have been uh, Larry was completely wrong, but he had it under last episodes uh, behind the scenes. And he said it was the one time he was allowed to do it and he was never uh, allowed to do it again. <laughs> do you remember why he was no. doing it? Was it for a wedding or something? Or, uh, it or did just say. It was a just like, uh, good night out on the town? <laughs> yeah, it was like they allowed him to try out the facial hair uh, and it was a one-time thing. What I swear there is, maybe I'm totally making this up, where there's an episode where they're playing poker and it's like, three of the guys and Beverly and they make a bet and they all have to like shave their beards or something. I don't know. There was something. Oh. We'll I'm keep our to, eye out I'm for it. it. Yeah. When it comes up, if it comes out, then we have to have you back on for that. He does episode. have a beard in the movies <laughs> as well as in Picard. I think he, in looks Picard. Picard, he has a great beard and it works fine. Yeah. It didn't yeah. work in this one. I don't, I don't agree. Disagree. Disagree. <laughs> disagree. I disagree. I didn't like it. It was a sploosh. I disagree just because it's fun to disagree with Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the beard. It did not make an impression on me. I'm just assuming that there was just another issue with the Enterprise, that they were working something out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or that he was evil. But the least, at least they could have like established like they do with Picard, that he does physics like in his time off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, they've never taken the time to do that with young Riker. I do love how Riker basically tries to say it's the null space. It's the in-betweens of the galaxy. And you're like, that's just how the galaxy is. That's not the null space, but whatever. I did notice, though, when they were in that meeting talking about null space, why are Riker and Soren so close, standing so close together? Because they love each other. I was like, are, not yet. Yep. <laughs> I was like, are they holding hands? They both smell really good. Well, so there's a couple in this episode like that. A couple of blocking things that I'm like, mm. <laughs> On the nose. Yeah. I don't know about that. And one that I think is entirely inappropriate. Ooh, I'm excited for inappropriate. <laughs> after after this, they go right in the two-hander of the two of them talking about their piloting skills. It's not quite as overt as many tropes of like, well, let me show you my scars. Let me show you my tattoos. <laughs> but it is a little bit of like that. Well, I'm a, I'm a pilot too. And mm -hmm. I love that Riker is like, well, then that's, I think with the two of us piloting together, it'll be even better. And she's like, when can we get started? Right now. And they go to the shuttle and do a walk around uh, the shuttle talking about uh, various technical things. It's not a lot of chemistry, but there is chemistry, right? Uh, Melissa, did you get that sense that they had a connection even in these earlier scenes? Yes. I did wonder, the more I watched this episode, like the more I'm like, was he really in love with Soren? Mm. Or just like the idea that he thinks that what she's going through is wrong and he wants to help her. But there is a very much like, I also wish I remembered what I felt when I first saw this episode, like, and maybe I would have felt differently because now I know what's going to happen. So am I really seeing chemistry or am I just knowing that like, but also they really set this up again. They were standing really close to each other. They're very much like you kind of saw it coming. 
I think there's a pheromones issue there for sure. Because, like, <laughs> the closer they get to each other, the harder it is for them to to stay away. And, you know, not, not only are we only dealing with 46 minutes or 38 minutes or whatever, but, you know, they're only dealing with a space of time of several days. So in order to get to the love declaration, there has to be a, a feeling of chemistry as well. Like it, it the, in order to get there, I think they, they thought, well, we have to do this. No, I yeah. absolutely agree with Melissa. In fact, this is one of the few episodes I remembered. I knew like it was in my <laughs> mind. I knew it was, oh, it's that one. And I felt the chemistry right away and I was all on board. I was like, yeah. And of course, Riker is the one who'd be absolutely open to it. Like he's open to any kind of physical interaction. <laughs> It did trail off for me, like I believe Melissa's alluding to, about the love thing. I was like, mm, that seems a bit abrupt abrupt, Abru- or like convenient for the storyline and not for what I've seen. I mean, the, the height of the emotion, not that it could happen. Just like, wow, you got there fast. Y'all are dead inside. <laughs> well, there's other, there's other people on board that was like, you had uh, similar feelings over a longer period of time. How does that yeah. trump what you've had with them? All of a sudden, other than the sort of a, a proclivity almost, it was like, I, I don't know. It was it was a little weird in that respect. I would have loved uh, Ro Laren to show up and just be like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember me? I, I to give of, her some tips. <laughs> I sort of give it my own backstory in terms of like, we don't really establish how long they're there. Because mm. they're there to solve the initial problem and then they have to stay for more. So mm. uh, I hear what you're saying. And the romantic in me is like, there were many days of working together in tight quarters that we just didn't see. They yeah. just didn't see. That's true. Fill in the blanks. Yep. Yeah. Fill in the something, if you know. Fill in the space <laughs> in between. The null space. Is what the I'm null space. That's what I call <laughs> my vagina. Um, the uh, Ted Ford. <laughs> seed is gets they, they fill it up the null space with pea soup uh which is the best oh, way stop it stop it that, that, that's the worst you do not when you're introducing somebody to a part of your culture the very first time and you start off with pea soup you're wrong you're going, that is just what writer thought you know what Pea soup. Now split pea soup. You got me. I'm, I'm listening. It's a bowl but full of snot. Like, whatever it's they got. It's gross. Yeah. Don't trust Jimmy. He doesn't like beans. I don't think I realized this in my prior viewings of this episode, but he talks about how it's his father's recipe. And I'm like, really? Don't you yeah. hate your dad? Right. Right. <laughs> what do you mean recipe? It's a Complex. replicator. It's not a recipe. But- but he's I from Alaska. This, Melissa, I caught Ooh. that too. And also, yes, yes, Eric. Because I was like intrigued suddenly about the idea of the ship being filled with people scanning their family recipes into the mm. replicator. And I just kind of loved that idea of like, <laughs> come over for wedding soup, right? It's like my ancestors used to make it, but now we can just ask the wall. <laughs> <laughs> also, pea soup is a you know metaphor for penis. They just because they sound the same doesn't mean but a think about for it. Each other. She's immediately <laughs> asking questions about how their genders work as they're eating and and how it works. Uh, uh, he she sees the um, uh, couple in ten forward, uh, and that prompts her to ask more questions, and they they start to. Uh, really get into what makes 
the genders and the attractiveness between them work. Uh, and it's wonderful because it feels, I don't want to say childlike, but it has that equality of like, tell me how sex works, mom. And <laughs> he, you know, expounds as, as, as best he can. Uh, what did you, uh, yeah, Kate, what did you think of the, the sugar spice and everything nice? Well, I mean, it's definitely a looking, it's a, it's defining gender, gender in the 24th century with a 20th century ideology. And not even mm. that snips and snails and puppy dogs tails is like an 18th century yeah. ideology, <laughs> right? Like we had progressed beyond snips and snails by the mid nineties. But what it was interesting to me is it pointed out that even back then, we didn't know how to talk about gender in a way that made any mm-hmm. sense, right? So I was like, well, of course he can't define it because it's stupid and it's made up and it's dumb, right? Like, so like the fact that uh, it was just interesting to watch uh, anytime we get these sort of um, issue episodes, like episodes that deal with big issues, it's always intriguing to me to see how the 1990s lens fits into what we think is the fantastic future. So it was just interesting to me that they couldn't come up with a more interesting argument in 1992. Uh, Also, did anyone else kind of hit a little bit differently too with the current events and how gender and trans, even, you know, the the awful right-wing stuff that's like, what is a woman? I I think she even asked that question and I'm like, oh, that that hits different now. And I actually was really encouraged, even though it is a bit of an antiquated uh, answer from Riker, I was encouraged at his response to it. I I loved it all around just because it's a nice bookmark for history. Like. I love sci-fi and part of sci-fi is, you know, the reflection of who we were. And as soon as the episode started, when they said androgynous, it's like, oh, they have no idea where this is going. Like, <laughs> they just did not know in 1992 where we would be because none of us did in terms of how grand and big that exploration has become. And I was like, this is so cool because forever – anybody who explores this will know like, oh, wow, what I take for granted in 1992 – they were absolutely ignorant of this exploration and definition of sexuality and in orientation. So it was just I love that he stumbled on it because not because I I agree with it. I I agree with what you guys are saying and how it's so antiquated. But it's like yes, but now we know this is a bookmark. We know mm. right here that's where we were, and it's memorialized for us to know. Like. But but we're we're further away now by ten years from this episode than this episode was from Stonewall, <sighs> and they're trying real hard, but they're also dealing with with uh, such kind of virulent opposition that that we're only I think five years away from the uh, American Psychiatric Association saying uh, that still uh, gender dysmorphia and re- regret of your sexual identity is a pathology not the identity itself but the fact that you regret it and it and you wish you were a different uh, identity which is of course systemic as well we're only five years after the uh, american psychiatric association saying that that is kind of psychosis and you know they're they're dealing with with issues they don't understand that that, that the people who studied it at the time didn't understand as fully as they do now and uh they they went whole hog for it it's super interesting um melissa how did this 10 forward scene uh hit you i don't know it was, it's interesting to see because i don't know if i probably would have the same like reaction as Riker, like not even now to this day like not know how to answer that question from somebody who doesn't understand there are a lot of things that I 
don't understand, uh, you know, or how I personally don't know how other people know that, you know, I, I was born one way, but I'm really another way. And I did talk to, uh, as I mentioned uh, in the email, I watched this episode with a trans friend of mine. And it really it was really important for me to watch that with her. And I wasn't sure. <laughs> I was pretty sure she was going to like it, but I wasn't quite sure, you know, which mm. way that was going to go. Mm. And we talked a lot about that, you know, because I can't I can't say what's right and wrong because just because I don't understand it. Right. You know, I can. And, and it's the same for any problem. You know, if anybody working in a theater, unless you're there, you know, you don't understand, you know, or any job you know, until you're experiencing it yourself. And then there's, of course, certain authors of certain popular books that say, oh, well, you know, you're not a, a woman um, if you don't have these body parts or whatever. Well, guess what? I don't have certain body parts anymore, but I can assure you I am still a woman. Yeah. And that's what I love about sci-fi in 1992, because this is many people, I mean, myself, the first introduction to this type of conversation, right? Because it was so, it was one way, right? And then joining the theater and being involved and meeting people from across that spectrum, both genders as well as sexual orientations, opened it up even more. But it really was, I don't want to say this episode, but Star Trek in general that opened my eyes to the the, the myriad of peoples on, on Earth. Um, and I love that for it. And it probably shaped a lot of my worldviews without me knowing it. Right? Looking back 30 years later, I'm like, oh, that's maybe that's why I've, I've been tolerant this whole time is because of, uh, of my uh, understanding of Soren and, and her journey here. Soren opens up a little bit, but then uh, one of her, you know, uh, people from her planet, Krite, shows up and uh, she gets really flustered, says goodbye to Riker and leaves, leaving Riker nonplussed uh, at her, her her change in demeanor. They go to chart the null pocket, and this is where they get to work together on the shuttlecraft. And when you know when you're in a, a tense situation in a cockpit and everyone needs to be concentrating on what's happened... That's when you ask about dicks. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Riker's oh. reaction. He's just like, oh, uh, well, it's uh, and he doesn't go as vulgar as I just did, which I appreciate at the time. Of course, they couldn't in, in syndicated television in 1992. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he 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 goes with it and answers as honestly as he can. Were any of you uncomfortable at this, uh, Kate? Well, I was just going to say uh, not uncomfortable as much as someone who is childless by choice, say, thinking to myself, if husks were an an option, for those children, maybe <laughs> I would have yeah. thought differently. <laughs> Especially when I hear that the process is still very enjoyable. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Right? Like something, something's got to happen to get those husks uh, uh, rolling. So uh, if the husk is a rockin', don't come a knockin', if you know what I mean. <laughs> I now imagine sense. like centerfold spreads of the husk. Uh, <laughs> 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 fibrous husk. Fibrous. Oh man, Thank you. it's fibrous. All I keep picturing is like corn husks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Husk. Yeah, I, I picture the I picture the alien eggs. Yeah, oh, that's what I was yeah. thinking too. I just want to say that the acting in these yes. in these scenes that are in the shuttlecraft, like mm. the room tone, masking for silence, and and the spaces in between the questions and answers and conversations, it's so filled mm -hmm. with flirtation that that the performances are just 
killer great like the the two steps forward that they take together and then they both get a little bit uh have i gone too far but i'd like to go further if you're up to it like it's so sexy and delightful to watch these two actors work together that that even with uh, moments of not being sure and and being awkward and all of those things it doesn't cut through that for me i think these performances by these two actors are really good at the whole falling in love thing like i i, I see it throughout all of these scenes and while it, it sure, certainly can be too fast i just think it's impeccable acting from both of them does it matter that she never says i love you it, it to me it always came across as she has an attraction a physical attraction and a curiosity about how those two things go together and maybe that's all it was mm. was mm. i want to explore this with you mm -hmm. maybe it could be something more but right now that's all it is it's only Riker who seems to at the end profess or at least yeah. he's the one who professes it we don't know where it would have went with her because of what we'll talk about later but you know it it's a little it seems to me one-sided not this not the attraction part and mm -hmm. certainly not how sexy it was because it was hot <laughs> <laughs> my favorite line is she says it's primitive and he says primitive is all good with me or something yeah <laughs> like yeah. yeah 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 enjoyable Woo. primitive yeah i uh i have to just plus one it is an extremely interesting performance that uses the words in this scene like the actual dialogue of the scene if you read it on a page independently you'd be like i don't get it why is that hot mm. but their performances make it hot and, and there's something to that and it's it's wonderful um and, and she has a bowl cut <laughs> and she's she got a bowl, bowl cut, cut. <laughs> and it's still hot <laughs> that's acting that's acting <laughs> And it just lifts the next the next time they're in that shuttle together. It's just even more of it. Give like, her an so ending. Cool. They go back to the rescue. Some danger. She gets injured. And Riker asks that she gets beamed directly to sickbay uh, so that uh, she is okay. But conveniently in sickbay, Dr. Crusher is there, who, as we also know, is versed in the ways of love. And Soren asks her uh, about her gender and what it means and uh we get we get dr beverly crusher being a little bit confused on how to answer this question as well uh melissa what did you what did you think of of this scene i thought that um again that's exactly probably how i would have answered the question but beverly was very it almost seemed like she was less surprised than Riker, mm. but maybe because you know women used to have it harder than men i mean in the 24th century not now yeah. of course because uh, now it's pretty much the same. Of course. At the rate we're going in the 24th century, it will still be the same. <laughs> uh, you know, watch more Star she... Trek, people. <laughs> I've been telling people that for years. Nobody listens. <laughs> <laughs> but I think also maybe as a doctor, she also comes across like children or younger people who want who asks the same questions, you know, about mm. hair and mm. makeup and, and nail polish and things like that. So it might be a little easier. It's a little less harsh than asking somebody about their sexual organs. <laughs> True. Two things to that. Like, I think maybe Dr. Crusher realizes that Soren is not attracted to her. Like, mm. so there's not that chemistry, but it is more of an emulation question that she's asking and, and recognizes that right away. And so it's a little less awkward um, or, or flirtatious. And then the second thing, when I was watching this scene, I was like, oh, no, they're going to make Soren 
wear makeup in the next scene or wear her hair like oh. like Crusher because she's emulating this. And I'm so glad yeah. they did mm-hmm. not. That would have been a deal breaker for me, for sure. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, that hadn't occurred to me, but I'd have thrown <laughs> Yeah, something. right. And that's where so much of the, the entertainment of this era would have gone, right? Like, yeah. oh, this is how it's supposed to be. Um, and I love that they, they, they did not do that, right? So, well, I don't good think stuff they, there. I don't think they could have because Sora is still trying to hide who she is. So if she had accepted asylum, maybe she would. I did pick up on possibly what they might have heard you. But what I did foresee was uh, Bev giving a cute little, aw, aren't they cute look as they leave the room. I was like, I know they're going to do that. And I was disappointed that they did because this is a, a really big issue. Like, they would have known going into this that this is an androgynous society where this doesn't happen. And seeing it happen means, like, this is dangerous. It's dangerous for Soren. It's dangerous because Riker could get in trouble or could get this person in trouble. So it's not a cute thing. It's like, wow, she's brave. I'm worried about what's going to happen next. Jimmy, I'm so with you on that because... To, to help us go the, to the next scene, the very first thing she does is spill the guts like to yeah. everybody at the fucking table. Things that are like patient, you know, doctor confidentiality. <laughs> yes, shit. that's her patient. Right? And like, yeah. just like, well, you know who has uh, well, an she... angina. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, uh, you she know, didn't, She didn't give away any, you know, medical secrets. That's true. It's true. But it, but it was a, a, a conversation they had in private that then was like, I think there's a love match. Well, and the the interesting thing of that is that she's basically telling Troy, like the person mm-hmm. who has been connected to Riker this entire time to be like, oh, I think someone else wants to bone Riker. She's used to it by now. Right. Yeah. I guess, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Well, and and Troy has her own her own very active yes. social life as well, mm-hmm. like, depending on the, true. the planet. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> poker scene. I am disappointed that Worf is the one who's like, I don't understand this. Yeah. I know they needed to to yeah. at least vocalize that in some way in this episode, but maybe not need Why to. Why did they need to? I actually don't they... think they needed to. I kind of wish they didn't. They didn't yeah. need to at all. <laughs> Expand on that, Jimmy. Why? Well, it didn't have anything to do with uh, like this episode was a they they put it in sexual identity, but really it was an examination of homosexuality, uh, and it had nothing to do with what women are capable of. And again, this was like Picard's argument in our ethical episode. It was given to him for no reason that matches the wharf that we've known. He has explicitly expressed that he's attracted to strong, fierce women. And every single Klingon female that has been presented to us has been a very capable, very strong uh, individual. We have never seen a Klingon female that is weak. Uh, It needs any kind of help from a man. Mm -hmm. So this was just absolutely absurd. And yet I'll say I laughed out loud when he said yes. <laughs> because Michael Dorn's delivery was perfect and blunt and it was a great punchline, but it served no purpose other than it was kind of funny in a base crass sort of way. But it served, it was useless for the character, for what we know of Star Trek in the world in the 24th century. It, mm. it just was out of place. That feels like one of those produced or like executive notes, right? Like, well, we've got to get in the other side, right? Like, or else they're going to accuse us of something. So like they slipped it in. I found it interesting that Data was the first one to be like, nope, 
shut that shit down. Right. Mm. Like, which to me was interesting having the Android who's like, that makes no logical sense what you're talking about. Right. Like Mm. I, you know, I can't be moved by your um, biases or whatever. And, and inherently what you're talking about is nonsense. So that was kind of, at least they had, I was worried as soon as Worf started talking that it was going to be like a other people around the table, like, Oh yeah, I don't, you know, sort to kind of grow that opposite uh, side. So at least they, you know, boffed it down real fast. But I mm. thought it was interesting that it was data. My only thought there is that they should have swapped those. Like they should have had data be the one questioning gender because he's got programming, right? Mm. And he's like, I, I just have what Dr. Soon gave me, which is mm. that there's two genders and he's confused and he wants to ask questions about it. And then if Worf was the one who was like, it doesn't matter, you know, like, you know, we, we fuck who we want to fuck. Because he's Russian all of a sudden? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, his parents are Russian. Oh, that's he right, Harry, you're right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Like, I just, I think that would have been a, a better uh, use of those two characters yeah. because it, what it does, it kind of gives yeah. the stereotypical, you know, um, toxic masculinity character of Worf too much power there. Yeah. Well, Worf did have one point, good point, about that was an awful lot of wild cards. <laughs> yes, it was. You're right. That's too You're many right. wild cards. Yes. yes. That yes. was weak. He's like, I don't even know what my hand is now because I've got too many wild, wild cards. A, it's not a gender thing. Yes. It's just too many. Yeah. <laughs> Three out of my five cards are wild. So, full house. I have five aces. Beat that. Well, there's 16 wild cards out of 52 cards. Yeah. That's fucked. It is a weird note, though. That's This is the. It, Oddly enough, this is the first mention of what year the United Federation of Planets was founded. Mm, that's right. Mm. 2161. So this throwaway joke uh, of, of bigotry is, is is important for canon. Since this year is when we get Irish unification, <laughs> uh, we're really on the route towards... Uh, it's also the Bell Riots. The Bell Riots yeah. are this year also. So, yeah. In San right, Francisco. Right, yep. right. We're going real slow, so I'm going to try and go a little bit faster. <laughs> But this scene in the shuttle where uh, uh, Soren expresses her love, I love this scene. It's so compact that they're in this shuttle scene, and, but I just love that she is honest uh, and open about, and we keep using the pronoun she because of how uh, she identifies uh, near the end of this, but she also makes a point being like they don't use gender-specific pronouns. They don't use the word uh, uh, they in the description, but it's it's part of this 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 conversation. He She basically just says, uh, I'm, I'm into you, and this is a risk. What do you think? He's he's responds positively. <laughs> Let me play my cello music, baby. Trombone! <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but he has the cello. He, he plays uh... the cello to get him in the mood. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's canon, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Yes. Um, I yeah. thought that it was a really lovely, like I'll echo what Eric said earlier, just that this any scene with just the two of them is just lightning, right? Like it's just, it's, but it's contained Howard's End, like British mm. sort of like, if we touch hands, I might explode, right? Like <laughs> that sort of tension between the two of them is really lovely. I think the story of the classmate, so we know the, the stakes right like it's not enough to just sort of talk about like there's therapy like that that to have experienced that firsthand to see somebody who was changed um against their will um just really sort of brings that to home too 
And this is the first mention of the conversion therapy. Right. It's awful, right? It's really awful thing to contemplate. Um, and the stakes you said, uh, Kate, are that high, right? To be like, it's either we keep this secret or I'm brainwashed to never have these feelings again. And about 30 years on, conversion therapy is still legal in a bunch of states. Uh, it's illegal criminally in Canada and most of Mexico and Western Europe, but most of the rest of the world, there are no laws about it. So like, yeah. it's a really fascinating thing. Also, it doesn't work. Correct. It's it's trauma therapy for something that has no no traumatic yeah. history. It's it's a it's fucking it is quackery. quackery. But not quackery is Jordy LaForge's beard. Yeah, because we get it. Ooh. Full on in this scene, they rescue the uh, the two Janai and bring them back, and everybody is happy. And they specifically um, call out Riker as being a hero here, and he gives props to his partner in crime uh, on this mission, and saying that it wouldn't have been possible without Soren. And everyone's happy, and they have a reception. But Riker is feeling a little a little bummed at the reception and they sit on a bench and it's very demure and she's like yeah far away so from arrogant. him <laughs> and the way she's sitting is very feminine which i thought was a really strong interesting choice like she's she's sitting in a way that is like i want to be close to you but i don't know if it's okay in this situation and then they go to their own version of the abor uh, arboretum nothing important to add other than it's amazing <laughs> that they go to a reception and she's wearing the exact same one piece jumper that she was wearing when she went into the field to save people so they're really married to this fact that we do nothing different well it doesn't matter what the circumstances are we all get one jumper <laughs> and that's it well i think that's a really important thing actually because if you i mean not to unpack humanity and gender at all but fashion in general is a very gender focused thing right like even though there are and and the, the way, way we, we do, do it, it right exactly and so the idea of a genderless society they wouldn't have those affectations right i i think that's part of it to a certain extent. They might have a nicer one-piece jumper that they wear to But what does nice mean? Like, what, what does that mean, right? Because oh usually it means accentuating your like femininity or masculinity. Here. I would just a like nice to imagine meme. that those are made out of the husks that they were born out of. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you can never change. <laughs> oh. You get your husk and it stays with you the entire time oh of your life. Uh, uh, so yeah, they go in, she's talking about plants. She's like, oh, this is a really interesting plant. And this is a really interesting plant. And he grabs her arm and they smooch oh. pretty long mm. actors, uh, out there, man, this is like a 90 second kiss. Uh, what, what are your thoughts there on how I, cause I was like, Ooh, God, how many takes did they have to do with this? <laughs> It's a good question. Uh, it is a long kiss. It is. And and part of it in its mm -hmm. length was uh, making me the whole time be like, oh, they're going to get caught. Right. Like because the mm. longer the kiss mm. is, the more danger mm -hmm. there is. So it was Tension. interesting how the kiss went from like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, they're going to be in danger. Any other thoughts on, on smooches? It was hot. <laughs> it was hot. <laughs> well, I, I know that. 
I know that in the years since this was released that Riker, Jonathan Frakes, has been on the record as wishing they had cast a male actor yep. for a lot of reasons. And, and, and you know, one of, the, one of the failures, I think, of this is, is using our, at, at, at the time in Hollywood, certainly, the, the duopoly mm-hmm. of male and female, we chose only female actors to play the androgynous aliens. And then we dampened down their voices, uh, and 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 did all these mm-hmm. choices that are that are to try and keep it from looking like they're women, which is not necessary. Yeah. <laughs> but but interesting in its way. I just think that especially something a moment like this w- would have been interesting with a feminine kind of looking mm-hmm. male actor uh, in the role. It would have braver been, would have been too. A very interesting. Moment. Yes. That said, I love her. No, she no, she's her. fantastic. Yeah. I I don't I don't know of another actor to put in there but rick berman noted that that might have been too unpalatable at the time uh right. to have a male actor uh here which you know speaks exactly to what you're talking about eric as being like they wish they had gone that far but frakes himself you're right has said that he would have uh preferred that it felt like they, they didn't go far enough in this uh metaphor um and uh and was uh, it even allowed great could you have two men kissing on syndicated tv in 1992 mm-hmm. Without it getting a rating that made it unairable, right, mm. right. I don't know. I don't I, know. But one of the things know. that one of the great words there is syndicated. Mm. So that might have gotten like, away with it. The stations yeah. could have decided whether or not they would right. they would uh, right. show it. But uh, and the interesting thing is, obviously, they were worried about yeah, reception of this uh, to conservatives, and they certainly got a few uh, mail-in complaints about it, but. The creators are on record as saying most of the complaints were from the gay community in that they did not go far enough uh, mm-hmm. and they weren't even mentioning homosexuality in any mm-hmm. way in this episode. It was done this through this metaphor of gender. Uh, and so, uh, you know, take that take that for what it is. But one guy um, did say that Frakes wanted to do it. And, uh, you know, would, do they think that would he would as an actor, would he have done it? And they're like, yeah, he was gutsy enough to want to do that. And I think that speaks to how maybe they should have taken that um you know, taking that risk. Riker having a really strong scene with Deanna Troy, right? She's going through her old things. Uh, she's gotten a, a package uh, from her, her human father, uh, right? And so she's unpacking all these things and all these people in history. And at the same time, Frakes is in there, or, or Riker is in there and just making sure that she knows that there's someone really important in his life. And what does that mean? Your face speaks a thousand words, Kate. What, do, what, are, you, what are you saying? Oh, I just love this scene. It's one of my favorites of the two of them. And in a lot of ways sets the stage for their future, right? Because Mm. this Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful uh, example of people who have loved each other and still love each other, but realize that right now may not be that moment or or maybe think that it will never be that moment, but who still honor the relationship that they had in a way that's like, it's important for me that you know this. I just think it's, I think it's lovely. I think it's really progressive. I love the fact that they kiss sweetly at the end right like yeah it's, it's... no no <laughs> See, that was I knew, an inappropriate I knew, moment i knew jimmy was going to oh be mad about God. that that's why i brought it up no <laughs> wait why why is it inappropriate jimmy i loved it all the way up until the kiss because for me i guess prudish in that respect kissing on the lips is for one person and one person only and that's my partner oh. like kissing on the lips to your like hey i'm really attracted to somebody else and i have strong feelings for them do you want to make out about it? Oh, they're not making out. Well, I'm a mouth whore. I kiss out. everyone. Kissing on the lips. That's intimate. I, I kiss a lot of people. Jimmy, <laughs> <laughs> not since COVID. On the not lips? Since, yes, I, absolutely on the lips. Right. 
Yes, you Europeans words. do it all the time. I, I was I was that same person, Jimmy, until I married someone who feels the way that you do, and and now I'm no longer that. <laughs> but like I I see both sides of that. I I I'm with you, Kate. Love who you want, do what you want, but only one at a time. <laughs> well, but, or have multiple. But it wasn't a sexual kiss. It wasn't a sexual kiss. It's always sexual. <laughs> I will also throw in another wrench to this. But it's on the lips. I will throw another wrench to this. Is I think this scene, even though we're, just, we're talking about uh, you know uh, uh, trans people and homosexuality with this episode, I think this actually is about polyamory. I think in some ways what she says to Riker here is mm. I love you. I will always love you. We can love other people at the same time, but it doesn't mean it because our relationship is constant throughout. And that I, that's what I took away from it. It was like, okay, we're not going to be making out, you know, one-on-one with us right now, but maybe we will Except in the future. We are. And we know we have. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I don't think this scene works without that kiss. I will, I will throw that out there. I don't think, cause I might not, I believed it. I might not have believed Troy's understanding here and the fact that where the relationship goes if she hadn't been like, yes, and we will always have this. Lissa, you have to well, solve this think, for us. Uh, well, for one thing, they couldn't come up with another thing for her to be doing when he came to her quarters. Like <laughs> random ancient <laughs> earth toys from her father's, you know, ancestors. That just That's the weird part of the scene to me. <laughs> I agreed. But besides the points, it's interesting because as far as we know, that is the only time he, either of them have gone to the other one to be like, by the way, I really like this person. I don't know what would might have happened with us in the future again, but... And the fact that she was okay with it, also, like, he didn't or he had to know that she already knew anyway. Crusher talks. I mean, even if without saying it, I mean, besides Crusher telling her. <laughs> but she obviously, he, she knows what he's feeling <laughs> when he comes in. But I love that she didn't say that. Hmm. Yeah. Because he knows that she knows. She knows that she knows. She was like, he just has to tell me himself and, and get it out. And it was, I love the scene as a... Riker Troy shipper. I love the scene anyway, also because I know where it's going. <laughs> I've seen all the Star Trek. And the only reason why the kiss bothers me, and this is just because in Insurrection, she says she's never kissed him with a beard before, and I have a list of all the times oh. in Next Gen that she has kissed him with a beard. Mm. Look at she's you. She's a liar. Well done, Melissa. It's, it's whoever wrote, whoever wrote <laughs> Insurrection. It. I'm sure Berman had something to do with it. But, <laughs> but I'm, And it's a funny scene. But it's also like, okay, wait a second. Yeah, he had a beard starting in season two, right? right. In Menage, in yeah. Men, well, in Menage a Troy, when they're on Beta Z, they have a really good romantic kiss. I'm like, he's a beard right there. Yeah. That's so Not crazy. Cool. Not cool. Well, that's so funny. I think I also love putting this in context of previous episodes too. So I think him going in to speak to her is a direct result of uh, conundrum and the relationship that oh. he had with Ensign Rowe a few episodes before and Troy being like, hmm, by the way, I'm pissed at you. <laughs> and I think this is him trying to rebuild their long-standing relationship, even though he's boning someone else. I like it. But they can't actually consummate because she's arrested. He goes to her quarter uh, to Soren's quarters and she is gone. We immediately go right to a courtroom on the planet surface, and Riker busts his way in there. 
uh, gets his elbows in and breaks it up. And there's all that kind of courtroom, like bluster of like, objection. What do you got to say, Kate? Just the, I wrote it down because they say, uh, the, the auditor says, these proceedings are closed to everyone. And he says, I just opened them. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I rewound because I was like, no way did he just say that. Uh, and he's already breaking the prime directive here, right? Like just by him, right. you know, not respecting their wishes and having him come in here, he's already uh, messing up uh, what the Federation is supposed to do in these situations, according to the prime directive that we've broken on um, more times than I have fingers uh, in this show so far. Your fingers or other fingers? Other people's fingers. Six-fingered man. But he goes in and says, like, this is, I, I did this. It's my fault. I was the instigator here. If there's anyone to blame, it's me. And he's doing that solely to protect her from this terrible conversion therapy that they're they're threatening. Soren has a moment and says, fuck that. I am who I am. And this speech um, is wonderful. It's wonderful writing. It's wonderfully performed. It, it is a tearjerker. Uh, Melissa, yeah, you mentioned this. Talk a little bit about what it was like to watch this with uh, your, your trans friend. Even when I watched it again yesterday, like I'm just thinking about all of my friends who may have gone through something like this and the fact that this was done in 1992 and we're in 2024 and there are still and people are still fighting this everybody you know if you're even remotely different like one it's extremely sad and we shouldn't have to do that but two the fact that we can look back at something that was over 30 years ago and have it resonate so much today Mm -hmm. still like and you know my friend and i had you know we were both crying when we watched it you know a number of months ago and you know just the conversations we had about the episode afterwards to know what it's like you know for her as a trans woman i mean and there are things about myself that i'm like realizing about myself in my you know 40s that you know i didn't know before or for whatever reason and and again like just because you don't understand something doesn't mean that it's bad. Word. Yeah. Obviously, this is where the 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 metaphor of this being more about homosexuality versus uh, other identities is very clear, right? Like, you know, that that comparison of like we st we 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 love just as much as you do. We have the same fights. We have the same, uh, uh, you know, lives that you do. We just choose to say who we love and who 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 is you to dictate how we express our love? That makes no sense. Um, and you're right. These hit home today and, and they hit home then. And again, I think, I think this did shape a lot of young people at the time to allow the pro the, I know we're regressing a little bit, but the progress that we have had over the last few decades, I think is a direct result of the art, uh, that was put out in, in the eighties and nineties, uh, around this. I assume that, that a lot of, um, people, uh, in the LGBTQ communities are more aware than, than people like myself that, that didn't grow up with those same challenges uh, in this society. But like when they talk about procedure that they're doing here, like they're, they're talking about what conversion therapy was in the United States before the seventies, which included shock therapy and included brain surgery and included all, all these kinds of things that now, at least in the US are illegal uh, with regards to, to this issue. But certainly the writers and the actor in this moment knew what she was risking 
when she got up there that it's not therapy therapy, <laughs> that it's all of the the surgical and traumatic therapies that are available to them. And and I think they are out loud saying they're going to mm-hmm. get into her brain uh, with with a laser <laughs> to, to, to fix this particular thing, which puts even, you know, even more specific stakes on, on this performance too, which is again, stellar. This is one of the great guest stars in, yeah. in Star Trek history. To be able to hit both on the romance and the sexuality that we're talking about, as well as this, this proud identity confirming, uh, uh, procl- proclaiming speech here. It's fantastic. You know, while embracing the mask like nature of the, the, the right. wig and the makeup. Yeah, that's hard. In addition to the direction to take as much emotion out of it as possible because somehow emotionlessness is what's being communicated as androgyny. Like the line she walks in this is just so impressive. Also, there's um there's a Twilight Zone episode um called Eye of the Beholder. Um, mm. which this kind of reminds me of, you know, the there's you see a woman with bandages on her face and you don't see any of the doctors or nurses, their faces or whatever, and she's undergoing this surgery to because she wants to look like everyone else. And then it turns out that she looks like a normal human and it's everyone else that, you know, looks different. Big faces. Yeah. And then yeah. she has to go to, you know, a place right. where there's others of her kind. You know, and this was in the 50s, you know, 60s, because yeah. Rod Sterling was a man ahead of his time. And I just recently found out that that woman played uh, Ellie Mae Clampett on the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh, wow, sure. Yeah. But, you know, it, this episode like kind of reminds me of that. Like, everyone is different. Not everyone is going to look the same. Not everyone's going to be the same. Even if you are two gay people or two straight people, nobody's going to be exactly like the next person because that yeah. would be boring. Plot-wise, Riker begs for asylum, being like, you should do, you should allow that, right? Like, uh, make it happen. It gets uh, ignored, and uh, Soren gets taken away. Picard and Riker speak. Uh, Picard doesn't come off looking so great in this, but at least his understanding of of, of Riker's feelings. Um, I, of course, I'm, I'm bringing the uh, characterization of him of ethics into this a little bit, too, where... It's a similar ready room scene where Riker is angry uh, and wants to do something and Picard less less bad than in ethics, but also doesn't really help in any way. Uh, I disagree. And I'm going to let Jimmy yeah, say why. Why? I, th- I'm sorry. I, no, you, you do it, Kate. You'll probably say it nicer than I would. To me, it was... It was absolutely the like, I can't help you if you go rogue, wink, right? Like, (laughs) I've done everything that I can to tell you by the law and by the book that this is a terrible idea. But if you were to do X, Y, and Z, I sure couldn't stop you. Like, it was much more of like... Mm -hmm. I'm towing yeah. the line, but I, I'm giving you Suddenly the transporter permission. pads are all open right. and we don't know where they're going or who's right. on them. No logs. Right. Like, right. And, I, and I feel like the last exchange between the two of them uh, supports that yeah. as well. You know, where he says we have to leave if we're now yeah. if right. we're done. I, I agree. Okay, so he, he allows that to happen. That is very different than I'm going to help you but he can, it's a it's an it's a solemn yeah. it's a it's a it's dude a, has broken the per- well, prime yeah. directive 95 <laughs> times he can break it here right like that's what i'm saying like he picard makes that choice in a m- moment when it's his girlfriend well that's <laughs> i'm saying he should have been like all right we're gonna get her out here's the plan we can 
freaking transport her out right now. And if that were the case, the ending would not have happened. And then we'd learn nothing. But I, I actually wanted to know why. <laughs> why it, it just seemed like Picard should have been a little bit more concerned that Riker was willing to give up his career for this. He's built up this huge career. And now for a person that, I don't, again, we don't know how long they, you know, have been there, you know, a week or whatever. But like, so now he's willing to throw everything away. And I felt like I wasn't getting enough from Picard to be like, are you sure you want to do this? Mm. Mm. In fairness, the kiss was really good. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done the same thing, you know, but. That husk is looking real good. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 if, if I, I would have written it, Picard to actually help out a little bit more here. But. I think Picard sends Worf. Oh, okay. Oh. That's the canon. Off screen scene, Greg. Oh. Argue. So with Worf it. comes and he's like, "I hear you love might be it. doing a I secret mission. I'm about? in." <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make amends for some things I said earlier in the week. <laughs> in the poker game. So if I could help out your androgynous girlfriend, that'd be great. And I remember how you didn't kill me when I asked <laughs> last nice. week. So I'm gonna try and pay this forward a little bit. And actually, I think Rerica does have a little bit because he says that's what I do. I help out my friends, and it's and it is worth reaffirming that they're friends despite Riker challenging him on that on that suicide thing. Action sequence of them getting into the compound is kind of truncated here because they just do like a. We're just going to jump over here. Oh, we found her right away. I love that they actually changed costumes, though, right? Instead of they always wear the uniforms, no matter what the planet is like. But when they're going to do a caper, they got something different. Yeah. They're like, not how do you know uniforms. that they're going to do a caper? <laughs> right? Yeah, that's how you know. It's telegraphed. He gets her out. They're running through the woods. She's saying, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. And it, this scene is so heartbreaking. The fact that she had already un undergone this treatment and his realization of that slowly over the course of this fast-paced conversation. What did you all, what was your emotion there, Melissa, on, on that? One, I think that they moved up the timetable. I think they knew that he was going to try to come and get her. Because mm -hmm. he obviously, he was like, oh, it's going to happen like tomorrow. So I still have this time. Yeah. Um, but the realization, and I don't know if it's just, because I think, at least for me, I re knew it immediately like when she said stop mm -hmm. but i don't know if he really wasn't picking up on it because he was so concerned with like no we have to go or if he or he can you know because he loved her or whatever but the fact that like it took that long for him to realize that this has already been done and it was not the same person anymore but she still remembered everything yeah. So she still knew everything that she did and was like, oh, no, it was a mistake. That was what was worse, that it was like a reframing of their entire relationship that he's. But know, also, I mean, nobody like wants to hear, oh, yeah, my love for you was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you Just know? Kidding. Well, and he says, Awful. I love you. And and they say, I'm sorry. Right. Like that's that is yeah. not what you want to hear after you say those words. No, what you're supposed to say is, I know, and then get, and then get uh, yes. frozen in carbonate. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I also don't know if anybody has, if that has happened to Riker before. Right? Yes. How many women have told Riker that they love him? And he's like, oh, that's nice. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, lady, I'm chipping out. <laughs> uh, no, that's a really good point, Melissa. I don't think he ever professes his love in that way. 
to anyone nope. other than Troy in the third season of Picard. So it's like they needed to have 30 years of production history before they allowed him to use those words again. Jimmy, do you think he actually loves her? Oh, yeah. I mean, if he says he loves her, then whether it's misguided or because of the moment, I believe him. Uh, it, the, the character and the actor deserve that much, I think. I... I had a problem with the presentation of Soren at this point. I thought they sanitized the situation by making them seem um, okay. Mm. There was no physical uh, effect to what had happened. Mm. This, you know, and I don't know what it's like for a person who goes through a process of having your mind changed. I imagine that it has some kind of physical effect, or at least. For me as an audience to get to the point to uh, to me as a creator, if I want to get the the audience on my side, like this is wrong and this is bad. I want that character to to look beaten up, to look exhausted mm. and to have some kind of consequence physically so that it really drives home that what's happening is evil. Mm. What, the, what they're doing to this person is wrong and it was i got that because she just they were changed but it didn't drive it home enough for me they 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 cleaned it up to make it comfortable for the people who disagree to see mm. it in in a way that almost made it okay in a way that you know like making archie bunker is or at least made it clear that it worked right mm. right which is like you see they yeah. seem okay it's fine and now they're going to live a happy life and like so to me i was like that's disappointing that they didn't keep going with this is absolutely wrong and look at the consequences this person is now suffering so that they make you comfortable with society as you think it should be. I, also, I, I don't know why he had to run into the forest so deep before the they could be beamed out. They could be beamed out from anywhere. Why do you have to keep running? <laughs> they were going to the special kissing tree. Yes, that's <laughs> what I thought. Like, <laughs> they, they, they we we can't beam out until we kiss again right here where it all started. I found it really creepy that she didn't have any physical ailments honestly i feel i thought i actually found it more horrific that she was not physically different and that she was just emotionally different um almost from like a horror standpoint right where it's like almost like a, a yeah yeah, yeah. How yeah. people feel um but i do i get what you're saying I, I i don't think this episode in general pulls punches like they're never like oh what about the other side except for that wharf scene Warning buoys are put up and the last scene is on the bridge with Picard saying, I think our business is concluded here. Is that right, Riker? Like he checks in to make sure that he's not going to try anything. And he says it's all done. And we get that long shot of Riker's face with no emotion uh, or very little emotion on it. What did you think of that uh, performance, Melissa, uh, by, by by Jonathan Frakes? I think that Jonathan Frakes is so good. Um, and and I think that's what it needed. I, we, I think if we saw him, like, obviously he wasn't going to be happy, but if we saw too much emotion, then we lose something because he is a Starfleet officer first. And, I, and you can make that argument even in all the years of his relationship with Deanna that we don't see between, you know, the move between Nemesis and, uh, and Picard, that's their first d duty as a Starfleet officer. They, kn they know that whatever personal relationships they have come seconds. I, I think it works. The end, the last scene makes me think that Picard knew the whole time that this was not going to work out. Mm. Whether or not he knew that Riker was actually going to go 
try to save Soren or not, he knew that this wasn't going to work out. He was not, they were ready to go. He was not surprised when he came back. I just think this episode in general is very patient, which is amazing because it's dealing with really complex issues and it allows moments for room tone, like Eric talked about, right? Like there's enough yeah. space where you feel them being in those quiet moments where it's just the two of them in the shuttle, um, where we feel this moment of silence. I like the fact that we are able to sit with him in our own feelings without being prescribed what they should be necessarily. Agreed. Um, I was reminded of a, um, a screen writing podcast uh, podcast I listened to where they were saying it's actually not good to write emotion like, oh, this person is crying or hey, or this person is feeling this way uh, because actors will will listen to that and will be crying. <laughs> and that's not how you evoke emotion in your audience. Right. It's actually much more powerful for there to be a very little amount of and this is for screenwriting, not for theater as much. Um, to have very low and have the actor portray not trying to feel that way is a way for the audience to feel it as a as a surrogate, right? Like I'm I'm feeling it because the actors are not giving that full performance. Um, so I thought about that with this with this, like the fact that he's not giving anything means that we can feel his full emotions for him and are are, are thinking about it in in that scene rather than having his portrayal be. He's giving so much though, like. He's giving so much. I remember in, in my senior year of college, I did some fucking acting competition. I did a, a scene from Harold Pinter. And the person's like, when you pause, you're not supposed to just do nothing. And I'm like, I want to do like, <laughs> fuck you. I'm not doing nothing. But that's what they saw. I, I feel like looking at Riker, you, right. you can't look at him and think he's doing nothing. Like he's he's so full. Um, he's not crying and he's not demonstrative. <laughs> I think that's what I mean. Big yeah. Way, but like, yeah, he's acting his yeah. tail off. In, totally. In totally. But right. It doesn't have that even like a, a tear drip or even like I could, I could have imagined him like, you know, right. trembling really his lips did. or something like that. He doesn't give anything like that, but you're right. It is yeah. somehow extremely, I got to bite my pillow. <laughs> All right. So that is the entire episode. I'm going to go around the horn and get your final thoughts. Kate Yeager, I'm going to start with you. It's what did you think of this episode as a whole? As a whole. Uh, I'm going to give this one, um, I'm giving this one nine meaningful glances. I would give it 10 almost because of giving it a lot of grace for when it was created, right? But to have it be a 10, I think some of the changes that we talked about or some of the sort of, you know, casting differently or or some of those um, sort of points that we've talked about where this doesn't hold up quite as much to to our eyes in 2024, but I think they did a damn fucking good job of it. And I thought about it a lot yesterday as I was watching this episode. There are two moments in my life that I can count as uh, being pop culture, like rattling me to my soul. And this is one of them. And the crying game mm. is another one to where yeah. I remember weeping because I was finally old enough to have the words after crying game. And I looked at my friend and I said, you love the person don't you? It's the person that you love. And for someone raised very religiously who was not taught that, it was very um, 
it was very monumental. And this episode brought me to there as well. Like this episode was really fundamental to me in terms of being a young activist um, and being someone who stood up for people who maybe didn't have as uh, their voices uh, as uh, highlighted as mine was, right? Like I had a more privileged voice and I realized I could use that from a young age. Um, and episodes like this are what sci-fi is to me, like at its best, when we can take something that um, is a complex issue and place it in the future so it feels safer somehow, because we can explore it in a way that isn't like exploring the the deep problems we have in 2024 it's looking at the 24th century and them looking back and going ah oh, look at how far we've gone and we have the opportunity to think beyond the binary or to think beyond the established when we see episodes like this so it's nine and a half <laughs> i added a half <laughs> she added one 9.5. Well-deserved. Uh, Eric, what are your thoughts? I am also going to give it 9.5. I need to talk mm. to her alone for a second, which I think we need to point out is how Riker approached the guards and uh, his girlfriend as they were walking through the woods. They didn't, like, attack. He walked, just stood out there and went, I need to talk to her alone for a second. And then Worf, like, hit somebody and it was fucking <laughs> <laughs> I'm also going to give it like nine and a half. And I uh, piggyback a little bit on what Kate was saying. Like in 1992, this is right when I was getting politically active as well. Like th this is the first presidential election that I volunteered on. Uh, I was still a, a couple years away from being able to vote, but I, I volunteered largely because of my girlfriend at the time, who if any gamers here know Stevie Case, uh, that's who I dated in high school. And she was fighting um, a book banning that happened at my school. And that was right around the time of this episode. It was a little bit after. Star Trek is so important and has been for so long because Gene Roddenberry, imperfect though we know he was, was an absolutely happy to have the fight uh, lefty. And it wasn't just uh, in terms of economics, it was certainly in terms of uh, identities and and freedoms that, that some of us take for granted now. Uh, and this show, at a time where we'd had 12 years in a row of extraordinary right-wing presence in the White House, at least, this was one of the few shows that was unapologetically, this is not the way it should be. Uh, every week, uh, beamed into my little TV, and my dad was huge into it, and my mom was not. And I sat there, and you know, I could kind of listen to my dad learn <laughs> as well, because I watched him in real time uh, come around on gay rights. He was not you know, a flaming homophobe, but he was afraid maybe of, of gay people in, in, when I was very young. And it was in the early nineties when I saw that change, uh, at least partially because he started going to my plays and for stuff like this, he was paying attention. This, this episode's un unbelievable. It's incredible. It's, it's for me, some of the best acting, certainly the best acting we've seen in the show so far. I came into Star Trek, the next generation this time, uh, as we started the rewatch, thinking of Jonathan Frakes mm. almost exclusively yeah. as a director who happened to be tall and have a John Wayne walk. Because his acting, he's not, he's not the kind of guy that's trying to fool you, ever. 
His his characters are open, straightforward. What is going on in their head comes out on their face. Like that's that's not the kind of acting I try to do, and I used to judge it harshly. <laughs> and anymore, I look at it like Tom Cruise. Like Tom Cruise is the exact same kind of actor as that. He just does it really well. Like uh, and and Jonathan Frakes. The more I watch and the more I appreciate, I, I feel that way too. And this is certainly for me his best performance so far in the series. So I give it nine and a half as well. Yeah. All right. Jimmy G, what are your thoughts? Uh, I'm giving it a solid nine explanations of male reproductive organs. <laughs> <laughs> With diagrams. <laughs> for all the reasons that uh, Eric and Kate have brought up, um, and for me mainly, it's uh, it, the show doesn't go nearly as far as I would have liked, but that's part of the reason why I give it a nine is because it went as far as they could in 1992. Um, and it's a tentpole, not only for uh, looking back at where we were as a society, but looking back at uh, where where the Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the Star Trek IP was mm. uh, in 1992. So like um, we like to do, should you watch this or not? You absolutely should. Not because it informs Star Trek, because it doesn't. We don't see these people again. We don't know what happened to them. But this informs Star Trek the universe and if you're a fan of uh, Star Trek the universe this is definitely one you want to put in your canon because it is a reason to like it and it is one of the episodes you show people if they're like should I watch Star Trek and why and it's like this is a reason absolutely well and uh, to that point uh, Melissa we'll take it to you but you had that exact experience right where you showed yeah. your friend Encounter at Farpoint which ugh. and then this episode was the next well, one you showed I always feel like you have to start with the pilot. You know, even though pilots are not necessarily the best, it's the introduction to the characters. <laughs> Although, oh, my friend did say she liked Babyface, Beardless Riker better than Bearded Riker. And I have a lot of things to say about that. Uh, <laughs> but but um, I, I give this a nine and a half ancient earth toys. <laughs> <laughs> what everyone else said, I think is a really important episode. I... Definitely wanted to watch it with my friend, but I wouldn't have skipped over the other episodes prior just because only I only did that because I was going to be leaving and I thought it was important. I wanted to get uh, her view on the episode because it's easy to like say things when you're, you know, a cis white girl from New York. But I think this episode is great. I think it, again, really resonates today, which is like fortunate and unfortunate fortunate in the sense of like everything that was going on in the early 90s and who the presidents had just been and just people not knowing and not understanding Star Trek was once again willing to take that uh, you know step to try to get people to understand better and the fact that now we could look at it through like a trans lens instead of just a gay lens both good and bad you know we shouldn't have to still be fighting these fights but maybe if more people watch this episode, they would understand better. I mean, I say that when I, I love the show called The Midwife, and I say that all the time. There's so many things on that show that if people just watch that show, especially like about abortion, they would be like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. So if people are just like, oh, I want to start watching Star Trek, you need to watch The Outcast. And you need to watch like Measure of a Man. Mm. You know, the episodes that are, like really mean something. I mean, there are episodes to me that really mean something that are like shit episodes, but, you know, but this one really has always resonated with me. 
I'm still not sure now, though, if Riker really loved Soren or just, I think he thinks he did, you know, a little fast. I don't know what I would do in that situation. And one never, you know, you can never know what you're going to do unless you're in that situation. But it also reminds me, there's an Enterprise episode, uh, season two, episode 22, uh, Cogenitor. There is a third gender and that third gender is literally only used to help couples procreate. It is like the last step in order to uh, reproduce. They don't know, how, they don't do anything else. Like they're not taught, they're not, they don't know how to read, they don't know how to write. Their, their sole purpose is for this last bit of reproduction for a couple. And Trip just, he, it's not even a romantic relationship. He just befriends one and tries to help them. You know, they learn to read and then they do want asylum and they ask for asylum. And mm. basically Trip gets in trouble because Archer's like, no, we can't do this. And Trip disobeys orders, but it's a really good episode to watch. It uh, reminds me of this one. I love that. Um, I, you know, agree with uh, everything that's said. The performances in this are amazing. Uh, I didn't highlight the writer, but Jerry Taylor is the uh, teleplay by, and she jumped into writing this, even though that she is uh, cisgendered and hetero, but she identified with being disenfranchised and, and made sure that the voice um, that Soren has at the end was was her voice, was was talking through like how wanting to be heard and wanting to be recognized for who you are and how dare you dictate my life uh, to me was all there. You mentioned Measure of a Man. Uh, director uh, Robert Shearer also directed Measure of a Man. Uh, he loves courtroom episodes. Um, and, it, and it comes out in this one. It's fantastic. Uh, many of the other creators talked about how this is a turning point for the, for the series. And I think uh, our recent thought of the clunkers that have come out in the previous month or so or previous four episodes are a direct result of, of that. And I think that this fifth season does kind of take off and get a lot better uh, with this one under its belt. It's it's uh, a nine and a half transporter <laughs> to the sick bay right away. I don't I didn't have a funny thing on the top of my usually I, uh, whatever. It's a fantastic episode. It deserves all the accolades that we've given it. And it reminds me of something that a conversation that's happening in social media right now where someone says, uh, recommends another sci-fi show called The Expanse. And it's like, if you want to watch a show that's got no politics and doesn't have any of that wokeness, watch The Expanse. And I'm like, you what? poor sick bastard. You dumbass. <laughs> you don't understand. You don't understand politics or life in general if you think uh, sci-fi is devoid of political meanings it went completely over their heads um and i think a lot like of people the first three um, minutes of the experience <laughs> it makes no sense that someone would ever say that everything so, about the yes, experience is political yes. Yeah, and Star Trek is too, yes. right? And, and and it's impossible to 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 remove that Planet from from of culture the and from art. Is political, like come the fuck on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, I using the word woke you know, just means you're dumb. It's true. It is true. And I agree that this is great art and great sci-fi, uh, and those two can coexist. And at the time in 1992, many people didn't think they could. Uh, and this is a direct result of that. And and I think our uh, understanding of sci-fi and fantasy as uh, lenses into our current um, political and uh, societal woes is really important here. And I would recommend this to anyone to watch, even if they uh, don't want to necessarily get into Star Trek. Just watch this as a human uh, because it teaches us a lot about who we are. Also, what teaches me is talking to y'all for 90 plus minutes uh, about a 45 minute long episode. 
It's a lot to unpack. It was wonderful having uh, you join us, Melissa. How can people find out about uh, what you're doing and what you're stage managing and going forward if you wanted to uh, give people your social medias? Um, I, I think <laughs> I'm on Instagram as Melissa and 13. Um, I'm on, well, you know, you think I would know this. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm at Melissa A. Nathan on Twitter. I will always call it Twitter until it totally burns to the ground. And then I don't go on it. I'm also on, I think I basically have the same handle on uh, Blue Sky and Threads. And I'm still on Facebook because, you know, I'm in my early 40s and that's a nice still too. Awesome. Well, I hope your show in Sarasota continues to go well. Congratulations on being extended or I'm sad that it was extended depending on, on your uh, uh, thoughts Well, hopefully about it'll it, get but... a little warmer. So There you go, yeah. Yes. And we look forward to uh, meeting you in person, uh, perhaps doing some shows uh, in the future, um, in which it. case it'll be raining and all of our clothes will be wet as well as our husks. <laughs> Husk pants! Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at gregtito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by mojojojo underscore 97 on Twitter or mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we reengage. <laughs>